So, yes, we have been looking at our key practices, and this t today is sort of finishing off those who have been, as Ollie was sharing last week, prayer and worship, creativity, hospitality and generosity, compassion and justice. We looked at missions and now discipleship. So I had been speaking on this last week. Um, if you weren't here, really sort of emphasizing... Um, about discipleship, very much it's on-the-job training. It involves everybody. We are all called to, we're all disciples, we're all called to, to be disciplers. Uh, but also, not so much that these are rules to obey, but, but more um, ultimately ways that we want to fall in love with Jesus more. Um, Ali was talking about the, the cost of discipleship as well, and for a lot of people around the world, um, People are literally putting their, their lives on the line whenever it comes to accepting Jesus into their heart. I read on, on Facebook yesterday that I think in Nigeria there's been a thousand Christians in the last year has been murdered because of uh, um, of Christ. And those things don't really make the news. And by by and large, a lot of us are maybe unaware of, of some of those things. But, but um, I'd like to take my watch off because... Just in case I do go on, we're here at one o'clock. <clears throat> um, yes. Yeah, so ultimately, what we what we want to communicate and with discipleship is that we are loved by a father and we are formed in a family. When God created man, um, He created him for fellowship. Um, in the Garden of Eden was was the place where, where it was God's territory and that's where he placed Adam and Adam wasn't um, placed there to be alone. Genesis 2.18 says, It is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. God also told Adam and Eve, um, sorry, that was a cut and paste, that wasn't meant to be there. Um, in Genesis 1.28, be fruitful and increase in number. So at the very outset, we see in creation that we have this... Um, God is, is setting up this fellowship between between himself, um, between God and man, and also between man and woman. And it was God's idea of, of creating family right from the beginning. Family is is a community. It's God's idea. It's a place where a place where we grow, a place where we can rely on each other, where we interact with each other, where we help each other. And it's basically family is a place where where love and all the messiness of what that means is lived out. And it's a God idea. God created, God created Adam from the dust of the ground. And out of Adam, he created Eve. And then God did something quite profound. God then handed over the creation of the next human beings to Adam and Eve. And it was like, a, you know, God made, God made the originals. And then he says, like, right, here you go. Work away. You create the rest. And it was, it was God handing over this idea of, of duplication. And now we know that... God created all of us. Um, Psalm 139 tells us that, that, that God knit us together in our, in our mother's wombs. And that's why we believe that right from conception that life is precious because we are, we are created in God's image. But it was this idea of duplication. <coughs> right from creation, we see that, that God, God's desire was when he created something that it would, it would duplicate and reproduce. So it was something that God wanted to, to um, duplicate and keep on going. Um, we can see this not only with mankind, but with plants in Genesis 1, 11 to 13. Then God said, let the land produce vegetation, seed burn plants and trees on the land that bear fruit with seeds in it according to their various kinds. And it was so. <coughs> also with animals. 
And God said, let the water tame with living creatures and let the birds fly above the earth across the vault of the sky. So God created the great creatures of the sea and every living thing in which the waters tame and that moves about in it according to their kinds and every winged bird according to its kind. And God saw that it was good and God blessed them and said, be fruitful and increase in number and fill the water in the sea and let the birds increase on the earth. And then when we come to mankind, as we have we've talked about, so God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them, male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said, be fruitful and increase in number uh, <coughs> and fill the earth and subdue it. So the fact, the fact we were created in God's image, out of plants and animals and mankind, we were the only ones that were created in God's image. And it was like... Um, God formed man from the dust of the ground, but then he breathed into his nostrils and man became a living being. And I just, I was picturing as I was putting this together, you can imagine God having created plants and animals and then he had Adam created from the dust of the ground. You can just imagine Adam standing there, not yet alive. And God breathed into his nostrils. So, and so you just sort of picture Adam opening his eyes and looking into the face of God. And the first breath that Adam exhaled and went was the very breath of God. The first, the first breath to fill Adam's lungs was the breath of God. And it's the very presence of God that sets us apart from any other living creatures. And it was this, it was this motion then that God wanted to, um, for us to, to go forth and multiply as he gave that, that commission to, to Adam, Adam and Eve, and to, and to fill the world with more human beings, more people that would, would um, bear his image. So then when we come to the Great Commission, which is approximately 4,000 years later um, from creation, we see that, that God's intention was still duplication and still wanting to, to duplicate ourselves into, um, into the world. Um, whenever sin entered the world, sin entering the world didn't actually alter God's plan for humanity. Um, God was still in pursuit of a loving relationship with his people. Yes, God, people, people needed rescued, mankind needed rescued, but it didn't alter God's plan. <clears throat> so we'll see in the Great Commission then, Matthew 28, <clears throat> 18 to 20, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you to the end, very end of the age. And John sixteen seven says that it, it was better for Jesus to go away. And I often wondered, well, how was it better that Jesus went away? But when you see that Jesus was one person in one place at one time, but when Jesus brought the disciples together and he was, he, he was duplicating himself into the disciples and he was, he was showing them the ways of the kingdom and he was teaching them the ways of the kingdom and by doing that, he was then um, duplicating himself into 10, 11, 12 others initially. So then you had so many more people that could represent the kingdom in so many more places at different times. And he was... Jesus was literally living out the, the culture of heaven um, around the disciples. And it's not, so much <clears throat> it's not so much even what the disciples were taught when Jesus said, go um, unto all the earth and, and teach and everything I have commanded you. But it was also what, what they caught from being in his presence. Um, there's times that, you know, we, we can read in the Bible where um, we can read that you shouldn't throw stones at prostitutes. 
because that's in the Bible. But I think at that, at that time when you can picture yourself in that situation, there was something by seeing the grace of Jesus in operation that was caught just from being in fellowship. Um, there's a grace too flowing from Jesus whenever he was on the cross and he was praying for his the people who were murdering him. Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. So in one in one instance we can we can glean things from from teaching, but there's things that can be that, that we catch from being in fellowship with each other. Um, this is going to sound um, not the sort of example you'd maybe expect to hear in church, but has anybody years ago ever watched the Jerry Springer show? Or am I the only one? I'm not, I'll not ask for a show of hands just because I don't want to embarrass you, but everybody now knows that I have seen the Jerry Springer show. It's like, if anybody doesn't know what it was, it's like Jeremy Kyle multiplied by 100, so it, like, it's just, it was just complete rubbish. You know? So <clears throat> many a time there were scraps and fights and, and everything going on. But So I happened to be watching the, the Jerry Springer show one time, not that I was in the habit of doing it. <coughs> I'm digging a hole here, I'm digging a hole. But... I remember one time there was, this, there was this fella come out and he was having relationship issues, whatever, and, and he came and he sat he sat on the on the, a chair on the stage and he was, he was wearing glasses and there was this other young fella then came out and whatever was going on between them, this young fella was just started bouncing about and roaring and shouting and he just got himself so wound up and into such a temper, he actually he ran across the stage and punched this fella on the side of the head and his glasses went flying across the stage and the fella got off the chair, went over picked up his glasses and sat down and never even tried to retaliate, never said a bad word about the young fella, n just never reacted at all. And while, as I say, it's not a program that I had a habit of watching, honestly, but, but I caught something of grace just by watching that and just by seeing it. And it's not something that was taught, but it's just to, to show the example that something was caught. I caught something of, of how it is to show grace to others in that instance. And Jesus was... Jesus was doing that whenever he had this um, band of disciples around him, that he was not only teaching them the ways of the kingdom, but he was also wanting them to catch what it was to live out the, the kingdom values. So discipleship is it's a hands-on process. The, the last command of Jesus should be the first priority of the church. Um, Jesus didn't tell the disciples to go and say a sinner's prayer. He told him to go, Jesus told him to go and make disciples. And in making disciples, it's a very much a process of journeying with people, sharing your life with people, sharing your home with people, and reaching out to people that we maybe wouldn't necessarily otherwise um, be mixing with. And hopefully, hopefully we've, we've grasped a lot of that by now, just by the, the culture of our own church. Um, <coughs> and we know that God doesn't want anyone to perish, but everybody to, to repent and come into a, a devoted life with him. And by default, being a disciple means that we are disciplers, that we, will, we can go and disciple other people into the, the culture of the kingdom. So um, it was like Jesus was, even way back at creation, whenever Jesus was given Adam and Eve that, that um, commission to go and duplicate, it's the same whenever he's given us the, the commission to go into all the world and make disciples. It's that process of, of duplicating. Um, Ali showed, that, showed us this um, picture last week. So at the Great Commission, it was Jesus saying, right, okay, now it's your turn. So Jesus started off with the I do, you watch, as in the, the come, follow me. 
the invitation to, to be a disciple. And then I do, you help, like the feeding of the 5,000, where Jesus was, was breaking the bread and giving it to the disciples to distribute to the crowd. That you do, I help. Like the sending out of the 12 and the 72, where they went to lay on hands, to heal the sick, to cast out demons, and then they were reported back, uh, reported back to Jesus about what all they had done. And then when Jesus was going back to heaven, you do, I watch. This is where Jesus was, was handed over to you. Now you go, you go and bring the culture of the, of the kingdom. And I remember um, years ago, whenever I was, I, I grew up in Craigavon, but my dad had a farm in Tandragee. <coughs> and I remember from I was no age, school weekends and holidays, I always went out to my dad. I just loved, I just loved being with my dad. And I was probably, um, when he was driving a tractor around the yard or down the road, don't be telling anybody, I was maybe only four or five, and I'd been sitting on my dad's knee. But I was watching what he was doing. I was watching around the yard how he was driving tractors, how he was fixing machinery, how he was doing these things. And it was very much he was doing and I was watching. And then it would have been at the point where I was sitting on my dad's knee driving the tractor and I was going to be steering the steering wheel. And, and I thought I was brilliant because in my head I was driving this tractor and this was class whenever you're five years old. Um, and it was very much then that um, he, was, he was doing but I was helping. And then whenever I got maybe a year older or a couple of years older, I was sitting on the seat and I was driving, but my dad was sitting behind me and he was, ultimately he was in control, but I was driving, he was there just in case something went wrong. And then by the time I was about eight, I was driving on my own. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> and I remember, I have a vivid memory of in what we called the back fields and my dad was, was in the tractor and he had the machine on to mow weeds and so I was in the seat and I was driving the tractor and we're going around the field and, and mowing these weeds and um, I was, my dad was standing, standing on the, the footplate beside me and we're, we're driving around the field, we're down at the bottom of the field and I was talking away to my dad, I was looking over my right hand shoulder, my dad was standing left and I was talking away to my dad and, and I don't even know what I was talking about, but halfway around the field when I got to the top, I looked around because my dad hadn't, was, I was asked him something he didn't answer me and he wasn't there and I, and I was like so. and he was away down at the bottom of the field, he had jumped off the tractor, not that he was, not because he was afraid, but he had he had jumped off the tractor and and was just and was then watching me as he had taught me over the last couple of previous years, taught me to then to then do this myself. So um, it was just a very hands-on, you know, example of the way Jesus was was handing over the the kingdom to let the disciples and us carry on the work. Um, Jesus was promising that he would be with them. He, he was entrusting them to teach everything he had commanded. He was entrusting them to lead by the example that he had shown them. He was entrusting them to literally live out the culture of the kingdom. And, um, and in, a, in a society that ultimately had put him on the cross, and he was sending them out like sheep among wolves, and he was trust, entrusting them to duplicate the values of the kingdom that he had instilled in them out to others. And he's also entrusting us to do the same thing. And maybe you're thinking, I could never do that. And maybe I'm thinking, I could never do that either. And you know what? We're probably right. But we need the Holy Spirit. And, and if you're thinking you can't do that, I want to challenge you to maybe take your eyes off yourself and start looking at yourself from a heavenly perspective. 
and realize the, the power of the Holy Spirit in your life and the values in your life that you can, the values of the kingdom that you can and you should um, duplicate into other people because Jesus can see more potential in you than you can see in yourself. And because of the Holy Spirit, he is empowering you to live that out. And I, I know whenever I stand in front of people, I can see a room full of potential. I see more potential in other people than I see in myself. But ultimately, Jesus can see the potential that, that, that he has put in us to partner with him to live out those kingdom values um, for others. Here's a good quote by your man. <coughs> I can't even pronounce that. So, um, the Great Commission says to make disciples, not get followers, and there is a difference. Um, we can follow we can follow Jesus and say we're following Jesus, but if we're not living out the, the kingdom, living out the values that he said, that's what it actually means to be a disciple. Um, first and foremost, I think we can see this, this culture of the kingdom and this culture of discipleship in our own families, and it's like the family is like a, a microcosm of what the kingdom looks like and bringing up our kids. Um, <clears throat> here's our crew. Bruno, myself, and... Zach is seven, Joel is six on Wednesday, and Sarah is four. And um, just like when, when Bruno and myself got married, and then Zach and, and Joel and Sarah came along, it really showed me the heart of the Father. It showed me God's heart in a way that I probably hadn't known before. Um, just that, that, that wanting to provide, that wanting to protect um, and especially coming up to Christmas when the kids, I want, I want, I want, I want. And, and my heart is also, well, I want to give you, I want to give, I want to, but, but you know, ultimately that's not going to be a, um, a good idea for, for them or my sanity. But, um, but it shows the heart of the Father and wanting to bless and wanting to provide. But also, um, while, while these three are learning to, to be kids and learning to grow up, I'm also learning how to be a father. Uh, and, and as we see the different personalities in them in them emerging, um, Zach is Zach is a reader. He loves to read and he devours books. And he has read more books as a seven year old than I've read as a forty three year old. Joel, and that's the truth. Joel Joel has such a generous heart. Um, he's just a child that loves to give things away, and he's so selfless. And Sarah is um, was real leadership qualities we've seen her, but she is a negotiator. <laughs> Do you know what? Brexit and Stormont could be sorted out by this time next week if if they just let Sarah get in the middle of it. She is a negotiator, but <clears throat> and obviously I'm saying these things as a very proud daddy. But what I'm saying is that as we are discovering the gifts in our children, and what we also want to do is is teach them to have the character to to carry those gifts well, um, and that's an important role as as my dad as a, as a father and, and Bruna as a mother, we want them to carry their gifts well. And Proverbs 22 tells us to train up a child in the way that he should go. And when he is old, he'll not depart from it. But the way I, that, that can sound very general, the way, I, the way we need to train Zach up is going to be different than Joel and it's going to be different than Sarah. We, we need to see them as individuals and we need to, to fan the gifts in them and, and be able to, to carry that well. But at this point when I'm reaching down to my kids, if you like, and trying to disciple them and trying to, to teach them the, the values and manners and all those types of things, that's only going to be for a short while. At some point in the near future, whenever they're adults, 
I won't be so much reaching down to them anymore. They will always be my kids, um, and I will always see them as my kids, but at some point, I'm going to be looking them eye to eye, and I'm going to be walking the kingdom road with them and going to them for advice. So seeing them as side by side as an equal, just as Christ sees us as a joint, a joint heir with him. So it'll not be so much reaching down to them as it will be putting my arm around them and then putting their arm around me. And, um, and I think successful parenting is probably bringing your, getting your children to the point where they, they don't need you anymore, um, which is probably a bit sad in a way. But um, I remember actually, Rob, don't, anybody heard of Rob Parsons? He's focusing on the family or care for the family or some of the things. He was speaking in Emmanuel Lurgan, remember, years ago, <coughs> and he was he was telling a true story of, have we told this before? I'm not sure. He was telling the true story of this, this lady who was 97, and she was healthy and well. She was walking down the road, and she bumped into her friend, and her friend was asking, look, how are you doing? I've been keeping not too bad, and how's the children? She says, do you know what? They're, they're doing well. They're both in a nursing home, and I know where they are, and they're safe. And she had two children, the two, her two children were in their 70s, and I think they were riddled with arthritis, and they're both in a nursing home. She says, but you know, I know where they are, and they're safe. He was basically making the point that you'll always worry about your kids, but it was just, she was healthy and well at 97, and her two children were, were in a nursing home. <laughs> but <clears throat> but in, in, in the family, I'm talking about the family just to show what, what God's picture of the church is like. And in the family, it's very much a place where the, the fruit of the Spirit needs to be operating, which we've spoken on before. Love, joy, peace, patience. Please, Lord, give me more. Kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And all those things need to be operating in my home for me then to carry them into uh, church as well. And that's why our life groups in church are so important. Um, because we all need people around us to journey with. And sometimes I need people reaching down to me to help me up. And other times I need to be reach, reaching out to others. Um, this last couple of years, I have a friend, probably my, my best friend actually, um, for almost the last 30 years, Brian, um, lives in Sainfield. But in the last year or two, I've really seen God starting to stir something in his heart. There's just something fresh and there's something new just sort of um, bubbling up in him at the minute, which is fantastic to see and fantastic to, to watch. And um, we decided, the two of us, to go through the Purpose Driven Life together. It's a book I'd read a good number of years ago. But it just seemed like the right time to, to start journeying this together because um, there's stuff there's stuff in him that probably needs to to be surfaced and there's stuff in me that probably needs to be surfaced and it's it's just nice to journey those together and and, and to be honest we're doing it mostly over um, whatsapp which is fine but we all need people in our lives that we can be accountable to and i need people um particularly this week because it hasn't been a a, a great week and sort of not I've sort of expected it wouldn't be because any time Miss Alfred Brona come in here to speak, it's usually something always goes wrong. So um, and a lot of stuff did, but I need people that I can walk this kingdom road with, and people that I can fellowship with, people that I can share life with, people that I can grieve with, that I can laugh with, that I can cry with, and pray with, and learn with, and confess my sins with, and. Um, People that can challenge me and rebuke me if I need it and say, look, there's something not right here, Stephen, we need to have a chat. And, um, and, and the thing about this church is I have done all those things with people in this room. And I love that about our church. 
and I love that this is a family, and I love that um, there's people in here that I can go and talk to. There's people in here that can come and talk to me, and that's what our, that's what our church needs to be like. Um, <clears throat> this is God on the right, and me on the left. Which is I know that's obvious to you, but this is my this is this is a picture of my relationship with God. God has not got a Mohican; that's his crown. So we were doing ignite one year, and. Um, we're encouraged to draw a picture of our relationship with God. So this is my this is my Van Gogh. This is my picture of my relationship with God. So basically, <clears throat> what the picture is is basically God's relationship with me, my relationship with God. I see God, who is there. He's always beside me. He is always close. He is always reaching his arms out to me. He is he is there to be fully embraced, and I am there to fully embrace him. <clears throat> the issue is down here I have my foot on a snare there's something that is just not letting me fully embrace God and there's issues in my life that, that I just maybe fully can't let go of some of them are, are bitterness some of them is unforgiveness and, and um, I'm just, just making myself vulnerable here to say that those are weaknesses in my life that are maybe just not letting me fully embrace God and fully be everything that God created me to be and because of that, I need people here. Because of those things, I need to journey through that with people. And God has put people um, in this church and in my life to journey those things with. And that might not necessarily represent what your picture of God would be. If, and I would encourage you to sit down and pray through that and, and draw that out and just say, how, how do I actually visualize my, my life? With, how do I visualize my relationship with God? For me, that was sort of what was forefront. And, but I know that there's, there's things there that I need God's help with and I need people's help with um, to, to journey that through. Um. I don't actually believe we can become more like Jesus unless we're in relationship with each other because that's what he created us to be. God created us to be in relationship with him, made in his image, but also be in a relationship with other people. The Bible says that iron sharpens iron. <coughs> um, and Jesus wants us to do ministry together. In, in Mark 6, verse 7, and Luke 10, verse 1, when Jesus sent out the 12 and sent out the 72 that were then going to report back, they went out in twos. He didn't send people out on their own. And Jesus had this, this ragtag band of men that he threw together. Fishermen, tax collectors, zealots, people that were, were enemies with each other. Um, and threw them together and said, by this shall all men know that you are my disciples, that you love one another. And this is how the, the church operates as well. And this is why in, in life groups we have, we have um, different personalities, we have um, different mixes of people, but it's the unity between us, between us all that um, distinguishes us um, as part of God's people. Um, what Moses said in Exodus 35, 15 to 16, and Moses said to him, said to God, if your presence does not go with us, do not send us up from here. What else will distinguish me and your people from all the other people on the face of the earth? And as a people group, what distinguishes us as different from any other people group on the face of the earth is God's presence. And it's what we want to, we want to um, bring out into this world. As Chris was saying, the church doesn't exist. It exists for non-members. And it's, all non it's the non-members that need to feel and see the presence of God in our lives. 
the whole discipleship process is a, is a working out of our salvation and our sanctification as we draw closer to that day when we're glorified with Christ. But as we journey, as we journey with Christ, there's a lot of things probably in our lives that we need to work out, and we need to do that together um, through this this process of, of discipleship. And um, in Acts four thirteen, which is which is an encouragement, a real encouragement to me. This verse. When they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished and took note that these men had been with Jesus. You don't necessarily have to be an intellectual to represent Jesus. And I sort of wonder sometimes, is anybody ever astonished and take note that Stephen McIntyre has been with Jesus? And maybe there's a few disciplines in my life that I need to get sorted out. Um, and it's easy to get into our, it's easy to get into our rut in our own lives, especially with working full time and three kids, uh, and also busy with church. Um, and dare I say it, that sometimes in church, and I know I've caught myself in the past in this situation where where God, your first love, actually gets shifted to the side, and God's work takes the place, and God's work um, is more forefront in your life than what your relationship with God is. And you, we can have a your your posture of Mary sitting at Jesus' feet can actually be replaced with the posture of Martha running about and and doing doing everything. I'm not saying that stuff isn't important. It is important and um, and the stuff that needs to be done. But sometimes we need to guard our hearts and put boundaries in for that. So what should our lives look like as disciples? Well, after Jesus had ascended and the disciples were filled with the Holy Spirit and they were speaking in tongues, Peter preached to the crowd and 3,000 were added to their number that day. <coughs> and then it says... They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. And I hear like 3,000 people got saved. I'm like, holy moly, how do you even start to organize this? How do you even start? And, and with, with trying to coordinate life groups, and, and um, when you get a list of people who, who need a life group and want into a life group, and you're trying to sort that out, how do you do it with 3,000? Um, but you know what? It's a nice problem to have. Um, and... Uh, so when when these three thousand entered into this relationship with Jesus, now they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, and to fellowship, and to the breaking of bread, and to prayer, and these four disciplines were priority in their lives, and they were devoted to them, and they needed to be because at that time there was persecution, um, and but not only not only did they need to be, they wanted to be because the Holy Spirit was moving in their hearts and changing their desires for a desire for him. Um, and I often wonder if persecution hit this country um, the way it, ha way it does in other countries, how, how devoted would we realize we are to these things? And, and I've often wondered, actually, if, I, if my Bible was confiscated and I took a piece of paper and a pen, how much of the Bible could I actually write out? How much of it do I actually know how much of it is actually in my heart and in my head? And I'm not saying I'm not saying I need to home memorize the Bible. But then on the other hand, you know what? Why not? Um, 
but it does challenge me to think, how devoted am I to the teaching, to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer? Um, and when, when did I last go on a prayer walk just to thrash out stuff between me and God? And, and I grew up in a Christian home. Um, I was saved when I was around eight years old. Um, I've, I went to Sunday school, um, grew up in Sunday school, and it was just, the Sunday school was foundational for my, for my faith. I always look back and I'm so thankful for it. And I'm so thankful for my mum was always telling us stories, Bible stories, and about the Lord coming back. My dad didn't talk so much um, about God, but whenever he did, I was always impressed about um, his Bible knowledge, and I was always, always impressed by what he, had, what he knew. So when I left Sunday school, I was about 11. Um, didn't really, wasn't really back at church for the next maybe eight or, eight or 10 years, but God, God wasn't at the forefront of my life. He was there, but he wasn't at the forefront. God really came into my life whenever I had to go into Latin or German class in Tandrigi Junior High. Then, then God was important because I God just please help me get through these next thirty five minutes because I hated Latin and I hated German <coughs> and I hated school, <laughs> but I'm not allowed to say it in front of the kids. Um, <coughs> but but then I remember I remember when I was in my, my late teens, God was really starting to stir my heart again, and I was really I was probably starting to discover my relationship with God for myself. Um, like I said, my dad had a farm, and I remember uh, when when God was sort of churning up stuff in my life, and, and I just went on prayer walks across the fields, and I can picture myself doing it yet. And it was it was just a real time of me getting to know God on my own. Um, it was a real time of just fellowship with God, and it just built me up so much. And I've always sort of been able to relate to to King David in the Bible whenever he was a, like a shepherd out in the fields. Um, what built him up at that stage, which he realized then that he could he could run to Goliath, was because he had built such a strong relationship with God, and he had he knew he could he had killed a bird. One stage had killed a lamb. Now I never killed a bird or a lamb on in the Mullahead Road, um, where my dad's farm is. But just in case you're um, a bit worried about going into that area, but um, <coughs> it's it is fairly safe. But I just remember that period in my life where it was I was really I was really getting built up in the Lord, and then I was I was listening to a lot of teaching about end times at that stage, and um, sort of I was sort of excited about all that because my mum had brought us up with that that um, talking about the Lord coming back, and I remember just having this hunger for the Bible and verses that I had known. I was getting the Bible and I was I was trying to flick through it and read through where different verses were and writing them down, and I just had this hunger to want to know more and and get drawn into um, what the Bible said. And <clears throat> when I was listening to this pastor speaking about end times, he talked a lot about fellowship and how important fellowship was. And I just, it just didn't really sit comfortably with me because I hadn't been to church for about eight or 10 years. And I sort of thought, you know what, fellowship is just, I'm sure it's important, but it's not that important. Until I was getting myself to the point where I you know what, Stephen, you need to get back to church. Um, you need to get into fellowship. You need to be going back to church on a regular basis. And then I, st- I did start to go back to church. And I was actually quite nervous going back to the church that I had grown up in. I was just nervous stepping in there again, um, uh, which is probably something I need to be conscious of for people who don't normally come to church. The big, you know, it's a big hurdle even to step into a church in a foreign environment where I was even nervous himself having grown up in the church. So I was back in the church and I was, I was serving and I was getting involved. And then as I was... I was pursuing God more, and then started to get frustrated. Um, 
about communion because it only took communion like five times a year. And I was reading in the Bible that in the early church that took it as often as they met. I thought, oh, well, can we not do this more? Should we not be doing this more? And so there's those things that were just um, sort of been, been churned up in me at the time. Um, but we've seen, looking back, and it was only as I was putting this talk together that, that I was sort of realizing that in those, in those earlier days, in my late teens of my relationship with God sort of forming, if you like, that I was getting so built up in those times of prayer with God I then had a hunger for the Bible. Um, I then seen the important, importance of discipleship. And then I seen the importance of, of taking communion. And it was just like, in the, as we read in the, in the book of Acts in the early church. And it wasn't necessarily a conscious decision in my head, but it was the Holy Spirit was drawing me into those things, just like the, he did with the, the believers in the, in the early church. And one of our key verses for this morning... <clears throat> is, and let us consider how we may spur one another on um, towards love and good deeds, and not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encourage one another all the more as you see the day approaching. Um, we can only spur one another on if we're in a relationship with each other and meeting with each other. Um, and I've known some people who have rebelled against the church, who have taken themselves out of the church, and maybe maybe because they've been hurt by the church, but they've ended up on a very slippery slope. And people justify not going to church. You know, Christians who justify not going to church. But you know what? If you're not going to church, you're out of God's will. The church isn't perfect um, because we're not perfect. But it's God's idea for transforming the world. And um, it's, it's what Jesus, these communities that Jesus wanted to set up. And I can tell you that without fellowship, without these one another, one another relationships, I think we're missing something of the heart of God if we're out of fellowship. Um, with each other and on the odd occasion when I would miss church if some of the kids aren't well or something and Brona's here whenever whenever Brona comes home I'm like, like who was there who you know what what were they speaking on and, and how did it go and who were you talking to and and it's sort of a longing for that I've missed something this morning I've I've, I've missed something do you know and I, I've I've regret that I couldn't be there and, and I wanted to be there and I just want to be with with the the, the people of God and I want to be in church um Bill Hybels, a quote from Bill Hybels, there's nothing like the local church when the local church is working right. It's the hope of the world. And the 3,000 um, in the early church, um, in that atmosphere they were living in, they also rid themselves of all selfish desires and sold their, their possessions and gave to anyone that had need. And it was a, this radical lifestyle that everyone was living and, and they were just in, in awe of the presence of God and the miracles that were being done. And I just thought, what a fantastic environment to be in. And I remember at that stage when I was, when I was back at church a while, there was, I was just sort of hit with this being in awe of God. Now, this is going to sound wacky, right? And I'm just going to embarrass myself here. But I remember being, just having the thought that God invented shapes, right? And I was like, Everything I now, uh, Matt and Tristan, if they're about to maybe just put me in a ward somewhere, right, for saying this, but, but I just remember that like, God invented shapes, and like everything I looked at, it was either straight lines or, or curves or squares or rectangles. I thought, well, God invented that. He, he came up with that idea. So everything I looked at had God's fingerprint on it, and I was like, this was just, this was just fantastic to me. You know, I, it was just was God was really stirring something that I was just, it was just that sense of being in awe of God. And, and sometimes along for that again, you know, sometimes you're just, 
text, maybe just take so much for granted, um, and, and we maybe just miss something there of the, of the fellowship that we can have, and, and that atmosphere of, of God doing those things. But they shared their possessions, and no one had need, and I've often wondered, maybe that's a solution for world poverty. If we are truly living, if, our, if sometimes we get converted, but, but our, our possessions don't, um, and especially this time of year when we're, we're sort of highlighted about so, how, how so many people don't have um, maybe enough. <clears throat> and what would our community like if we truly give away everything that we didn't need? If we were um, truly living out that culture and that, that kingdom like the early church had. But when we're evangelizing and we're doing missions, really what we're trying to do is take the, the culture of the, the kingdom, take this family that God has put together and multiply it and duplicate it around our town and around our city. Thy kingdom come and thy will be done. And our heart, and our heart for this church is that we would all be in fellowship with each other and the Sunday morning gathering is important and um, it's necessary and we need the fellowship and we need to come together to pray and to worship and to have communion. But our life groups are really carrying the heart of the church as well. And, and if you're not in a life group um, and you want to be, could you just come and have a chat with me at the end? Because I'd love, I'd love to get us all into life groups where we can tease out a bit more of what's preached on a Sunday morning or a bit more of what the Bible. But also because if you're not going through a difficult time at the minute, you will be. And you need people around you for that. And Romans twelve fifteen says that we rejoice with those who rejoice and we weep with those who weep and sometimes when we weep with those who weep we feel a sense of um there's maybe a sense of of importance not importance but and um, we'll have a purpose because we can get around people um and, and we can comfort people but maybe we don't rejoice with those who rejoice just as much i know in this culture we can maybe be quite judgmental at times somebody buys a new car <laughs> i'd afford that See the car they're driving? What does she work, does she work at? Or buy, buy, buy a swanky house in the state? You see where they're living? But you know what? The Bible tells us to rejoice with people when they're being blessed. 